From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast where we sometimes veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to some of my patrons, Shannon, Rebecca, Walter, Jennifer, Elena, Elise, Ariel, Chantel, Stacy, Jessica, my dear two Emmas, Whitney, Rachel, Alethea, Catherine, Linda, Teresa, who is the bomb, Sophie, Nanette, David, Trudy, and John. Thank you so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, Please feel free to join my patron, like, share, and subscribe. It just might help our little community grow. And if you happen to watch on YouTube and also use Spotify, consider watching on Spotify instead as they have been kind enough to sponsor me and we all know how YouTube treats us. But my podcasts are all written with the listener only in mind, so nothing is missed. I thought perhaps we might have one more podcast about culty things, as I've always been fascinated with the story of Rasputin. So let's get into it. Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin was born on January 21st, 1869 in the Tumen Oblast in Siberia. I apologize if I butchered that. So as we always do, to get some context as to the world he was born into. Let's get into some history for that time. A woman by the name of Elizabeth Cady Stanton became the first woman to testify before U.S. Congress. She was a women's rights activist and abolitionist, and she wasn't the only first for the U.S. Congress. John Menard was the first African-American to make a speech to them as well. Also this year, Franz Schubert's Symphony No. 4, The Tragic, premiered. Dmitry Mendeleev presented the first periodic table of the elements to the Russian Chemical Society. We see that it was in 1869 when Arkansas and North Carolina passed legislation regarding the anti-Klu Klux Klan laws. So with 10 salaried players, the Cincinnati Red Stockings became baseball's first professional team and Scotland's oldest professional football team was founded. The American Museum of Natural History opened in New York City. 
the, quote, golden spike was driven, completing the first U.S. transcontinental railroad at Promontory Summit, Utah, and connecting the Central Pacific Railroad with the Union Pacific. After, the first westbound train arrived in San Francisco. Also this year, Thomas Edison was granted his first patent for the electric vote recorder. A personal interest and the father of American psychology, William James passed his medical examination at Harvard Medical School. A hotel in Boston became the first to have indoor plumbing. English author Matthew Arnold published, quote, Culture and Anarchy, which was an influential collection of essays about contemporary society. Britain, France, and Italy take joint control of the finances of a bankrupt Tunisia. Rana Valona II, Marina Queen of Madagascar, was baptized. Boston University was chartered by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Mark Twain published, quote, The Innocents Abroad this year. It went on sale after printing by the American Publishing Company and became Twain's best-selling work during his lifetime. And Leo Tolstoy's novel, War and Peace, was published in complete book form in Russia this year. So nothing super intense, but this was the atmosphere that Rasputin was born into. His father, Yefim Yakyolovic Rasputin, born in 1841, was a peasant farmer and a coachman. He bought and sold horses for a living. He was also said to have served as an elder in the village church. His mother's name was Anna, born in 1839, and the couple married in 1863. They had, what I found at least, to be a total of eight children, though some sources say there were only three. It was said that, unfortunately, all of the children but Rasputin and perhaps one other died in either infancy or early childhood, two of them drowning in the local river. Some sources stated he had no formal education, while others said that he did attend school, but regardless, Grigory Rasputin remained illiterate until his early adulthood. Along with that, his reputation for his lack of legal or moral restraints, including sexuality, and being inappropriate with the local young women earned him less than favorable opinions with the locals. Now, the local records indicate that Rasputin exhibited unruly behavior while growing up. There were rumors of drinking, small thefts, and all around being disrespectful to authorities. In his early years, some people of his village said he possessed supernatural powers, while others cite examples of extreme cruelty. It is said he demonstrated psychic or telepathic qualities as a child, though they doubted his talents were authentic. An example of this is, allegedly, he mysteriously identified the man who had stolen one of his father's horses and developed a reputation for having a knack for identifying thieves. And this is really all I could find out about his childhood. It isn't much, but what we have does at least tell a story. So because we have no real information about his mother or her background, 
there's not a lot of speculation to be made, but the very lack of information may indicate that she was at least a decent mother who loved her children and did the best that she could. As poor as they were, he was well-fed and appeared healthy. He actually grew to be six foot four inches tall, and all sources said he had piercing, intensely cold, and hypnotic blue eyes. There were no stories of abuse or neglect. As far as his father, well, he worked and provided for his family, as his father did before him, and nothing in particular stood out with regards to him either. But again, there isn't enough information to give us much to go on. What we do know is that Rasputin had a reputation for being an unruly child, meaning the locals thought him to be disorderly and disruptive and not amenable to discipline or control. One might use descriptive words such as rowdy, disobedient, but defiance is a common issue that parents of many children and adolescents experience. They might often throw temper tantrums and show aggression, and there could be various reasons behind a child's behavioral issues, such as constantly telling them no, which can cause rebelliousness. Giving kids some freedom to experience the world within safe boundaries is important. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, Undefined boundaries can be just as bad. It is healthy to tell children no and then simply explain to them why they cannot do something. The age-old, you know, because I said so, really isn't ideal. Another reason for defiant behavior could be constant labeling. Children who are often labeled, for example, arrogant, might take it as one of their core traits and start behaving as such. If a child is labeled as best, they may go on to think that they can never do anything wrong, which would be stressful to say the least. And then the overall family environment could leave a negative impact on the child over the years. Is there shouting or a lot of fighting within the home? Do the parents disrespect each other in front of the children? All valid questions. But again, we really don't know what, if anything, caused him to display unruly behavior. Unchecked disobedient behavior can cause the child to develop arrogant behaviors, start lying, and being all around disrespectful. But we also know that Rasputin, in his youth, would steal, drink alcohol, and was disrespectful to authorities. He displayed highly untoward behaviors with the local women and was sexually inappropriate, and that is pretty telling. But there wasn't any specific mentions of the usuals, fire starting, animal abuse or torture, self-isolating, anxious or depressive episodes. So again, it doesn't leave us much to analyze, and I don't feel it's enough information to even speculate too much. But the point is, he made people believe he possessed special psychic or telepathic abilities, but with regards to the then Russian Orthodox Church and its followers, it wasn't necessarily unheard of. Writers, artists, and intellectuals in large numbers were drawn to mysticism, spiritualism, theosophy, and Eastern religions. There was a fascination with elemental feeling, with the unconscious and the mythic, proliferated along with visions of coming catastrophe and redemption. 
So even with the locals being doubtful of his supposed abilities, it certainly wasn't uncommon for some people to think these powers were possible. Like I said, I wish there was more information to really dig through to analyze so I could give you a more clear picture about Rasputin and what might have led up to the life he went on to live, but there isn't any, or at least not that I could find, in the time during researching. So let's get back into the story. Rasputin eventually underwent a religious conversion at age 18 and entered the Verkoturi Monastery in Russia with the intention of becoming a monk. This monastery is perhaps not well known by most of the world, but it is a popular place of pilgrimage for Orthodox believers. It is currently included in the list of historical cities of Russia due to the amount of historically significant buildings which can still be found in the city. It was dedicated to St. Nicholas, yes, the St. Nicholas, founded by a monk, became a major point for missionary activity throughout Siberia. So Rasputin spent three months in this monastery, and it is speculated that was possibly a penance for theft. But his experience there, combined with a reported vision of the Virgin Mary on his return, turned him toward the life of a religious mystic and wanderer. It was said that, shortly after leaving the monastery, he met a holy man who had a hut nearby. This holy man would have a major influence on him and became a model for Rasputin's spirituality and demeanor. At the age of 19, he married a peasant girl named Proskovia, and together they had three children, Dmitri, Varvera, and Maria. It was noted in a few sources that he and his wife actually had seven children, but only three survived. Now, board around the campfire was that he also had a love child with another woman outside of his marriage. But it didn't take him long to become restless. He found a renewed interest in religion and decided to abandon his wife and children and go on a pilgrimage. At this point, he was around 28 years old and had been married for 10 years. And FYI, it was said in all sources that his wife stayed completely devoted to him the rest of their lives, even in his absence. I found some rumors hinting at the fact that he might have left to escape persecution for his role in another horse theft, and still another rumor that he had had a vision of the Virgin Mary again, or had perhaps been inspired by a young theological student he met. Whatever the reason, he had become a changed man during his pilgrimage. He looked scruffy and unkempt had become a vegetarian, stopped drinking alcohol completely, and fervently prayed and sang hymns. He also apparently didn't bathe, but he was a holy wanderer for the next several years. Rasputin had effectively molded himself into a man of virtue and fortitude, and during his wanderings to different holy places, he actually gathered an intimate group of very loyal followers from around Siberia. He traveled back to St. Nicholas Monastery, and it was said that he spent several months there, where he was taught to somewhat read and write. But he did complain about the monks in the monastery, stating they engaged in homosexuality. 
Rasputin also criticized monastic life as too coercive, using threats or force for complete compliance. So by the early 1900s, he again had his small group of loyal followers who prayed with him on Sundays as well as any other holy day. He even held secret prayer meetings in his father's old root cellar, and those meetings were actually the subject of suspicion and hostility from the already established village priest as well as other villagers. You must remember, many people did not trust or like him. But then again, there were stories that his female followers were, quote, ceremonially washing him before each meeting. And really, most sources stated that he was having sexual relations with his congregation. There were also rumors that they sang, quote, strange songs. But the biggest rumor of them all was that they believed Rasputin had joined the Klistia. Now, there's a story. So long story short, the Klistia renounced priesthood, holy books, and veneration of saints. According to sources, they believed in a possibility of direct communication with the Holy Spirit and the existence of the Holy Spirit existing within people. Historically, they believed each of their leaders was a living God, and each congregation had its own Christ and Mother of God. They believed completely that the Holy Spirit could enter any one of them during the state of ecstasy, which they attained during the ritual of, quote, rejoicing. What's that, you ask? Well, according to the book, God's People of the Early 18th Century by Eugene Clay, this ritual, which formed the focus of their worship, took place on holy feast days. The congregation would gather during the evening at a prearranged location, such as a member's house. They would remove all of their clothes other than an undershirt and enter a predetermined sacred place and begin singing something sacred, then begin to whirl wildly in place and whipping their own bodies, as in self-flagellation, flogging, or beating themselves as a form of religious discipline. And then, when things began to calm down, they would then engage in group sinning, as they called it. It was described as a frenzied sexual orgy, which they believed would purify them from the lusts of the flesh. It's the, you know, sin in order for you to be able to be forgiven situation. And then in closing, they would, you know, share a sacramental meal of nuts, bread, and pastries. But I should tell you that there are some scholars that debate this practice, so take that information as you will. Historian Joseph Furman stated that investigations haven't been able to conclusively establish Rasputin being a member of this sect. My suspicions are that he was, but okay. In 1903, the now 34-year-old Rasputin landed in St. Petersburg, where he surprisingly, and rather quickly, became notorious within the holy circles as a sacred man with exceptional powers. He met with Russian Orthodox Church officials, one of whom was so completely impressed with Rasputin that he invited him to stay in his home. 
His ideas and strange manners made him subject of intense curiosity among the local elite, and he befriended many prominent members of the Russian court and aristocracy, such as Princess Melitza, daughter of King Nicola I of Montenegro, which is an area kind of just below what is now the southern border of Ukraine. This princess was very well educated, intelligent, and also a bit arrogant, as she was described. She and her sister had married into the Russian imperial family and therefore were instrumental in introducing Rasputin to Nicholas II, the emperor of all of Russia and his family. Now, I think it important to give those who are not familiar with Nicholas II just a tiny history lesson, and especially for my non-UK children listening. Nicholas Romanov was married to Alexandra Fyodorovna. Alexandra was the granddaughter of Queen Victoria of England herself. Queen Victoria had other children, and her descendants would go down the tree until the recently deceased Queen Elizabeth, as well as Prince Philip. So yes, Lilibet and Philip were related, but it was distant enough so that it wasn't, you know, icky. So it was in 1905 when Rasputin met Nicholas and Alexandra. Now, as we learned in the previous podcast about Brother 12, this was a time of religious curiosity. Alternative religious movements such as spiritualism and theosophy had become so very popular around Europe, and these concepts had made their way to St. Petersburg. The aristocracy were intensely curious about the occult and the supernatural. So when Nicholas first met Rasputin, He wrote about it in his diary, stating that he and Alexandra had, quote, made the acquaintance of a man of God, Grigori, from Tobolsk province, end quote. Now, Rasputin did a bit of traveling back and forth for a year, but when he returned, Roman and Alexandra, believing him to be a great healer, introduced him to their children and, most importantly, their son, little Alexia. You see, Roman's position of power at this time was rocky at best because the people wanted Alexandra to have a son that would be the heir to the throne. Only the couple had four daughters and this was creating a serious issue. So when little Alexia was born, the family felt they could finally breathe a sigh of relief. The children's tutor wrote, quote, Alexie was the center of a united family, the focus of all its hopes and affections. His sisters worshipped him. He was his parents' pride and joy. When he was well, the palace was transformed. Everyone and everything in it seemed bathed in sunshine. End quote. And there's your hint. Because shortly after little Alexie's birth, The doctors realized that he had hemophilia, which is a mostly inherited genetic disorder that impairs the body's ability to make blood clots. It makes it very difficult to stop any bleeding. It is serious and dangerous. So when they cut the umbilical cord when he was born, his stomach bled for days and his blood would not clot. This was indeed inherited through Alexandra all the way back from her grandmother, Queen Victoria, 
and back then this would have been highly fatal. The average life expectancy for hemophiliacs was 13. Some of Alexandra's family had actually died from this condition and she had unfortunately been a carrier. And she was painfully aware of this and felt really horrible guilt that she had passed it on to her son as any one of us could imagine. So after his diagnosis, she was inconsolable and told the nurse, quote, if only you knew how fervently I've prayed for God to protect my son from our inherited curse, end quote. And as I'm sure you can imagine, Alexandra was blamed for what they called contaminating the Romanovs with the diseases of her own race. She was, of course, German and English descent. So the imperial family thought it best to keep his condition a secret from the Russian people, though they would obviously find out eventually. And naturally, his parents turned to Russian doctors to treat Alexei, but they all pretty much failed. So Alexandra did what most would have done in her circumstance back then. She turned toward her religious faith for comfort, and she studied the Orthodox faith and saints and spent hours daily praying in her private chapel for help. Again and again, little Alexei battled his condition nearly to the point of death, and it was then that several times it was said Rasputin had been called upon to pray over the boy and was able to bring the boy back to reasonable health. Any parent can imagine that if it appeared someone was able to heal your very ill child, you would grow quite fond of and really reliant upon that person. Rasputin was that for Alexandra. He had prayed over the young boy during one particularly bad internal hemorrhage, and Alexia was recovered the next morning. He told the mother, quote, Neither the emperor nor you can do without me. If I am not here to protect you, you will lose your son within six months, end quote. According to the site unofficialroyalty.com, the most mysterious episode of Rasputin's legend occurred during the summer of 1912. Alexei had developed a hemorrhage in his thigh and groin after a rather bumpy carriage ride, and it was beginning to get worse. The poor boy was in immense pain, guys, delirious with fever and quite close to death. At that time, Rasputin was back in Siberia and Alexandra sent a telegram for him to pray for her son. Rasputin quickly sent word back saying, quote, God has seen your tears and heard your prayers. Do not grieve. The little one will not die. Do not allow the doctors to bother him too much, end quote. And then the very next day, the bleeding stopped. One of the doctors was quoted as saying, quote, the recovery was wholly inexplicable from a medical point of view. Rasputin would come in, walk up to the patient, look at him and spit. The bleeding would stop in no time. How could the Empress not trust Rasputin after that? End quote. And because of the faith the royal family had in him, Rasputin gained a considerable status and power at court. Really, he had become Alexandra's closest confidant and personal advisor. 
he convinced her to fill some government offices with his own hand-picked candidates. Mm. And that's where things took an even darker turn for the royal family. It was suspected that Rasputin was exerting political influence over Nicholas, and it was even said that Alexandra herself was having a torrid affair with the holy man. I don't know if that's true or not, and I have my doubts. What we do know is that he kept living quarters not far and would seduce many women and take them to bed, some of them writing about it. It was said that one woman abandoned her children and husband, believing Rasputin to be Christ, and she the Virgin Mary, which, gross, were once. She held his appendage in her hand, exclaiming that he was Christ. She was quite mad. Regardless, opposition to Rasputin's obvious influence grew within the Russian Orthodox Church, and other family members to Nicholas and Alexandra were becoming quite concerned with Rasputin's particular influence when Nicholas had to leave for St. Petersburg to take supreme command of the Russian armies fighting in World War I, leaving Alexandra in charge as regent. You can see what's beginning to brew. Another family member wrote, quote, I cannot understand the attitude of Alexandra and the children to that sinister Grigori, whom they consider to be almost a saint, when in fact he's only a cleist. He's always there, goes into the nursery, visits Olga and Tatiana, daughters of the Tsar, while they are getting ready for bed, sits there talking to them and caressing them. They are careful to hide him from their nanny, and the children don't dare to talk to her about them. It's all quite unbelievable and beyond understanding. End quote. Another governess claimed that, in 1910, the then 41-year-old Rasputin had um, forced her against her will, so to speak, and this wasn't the only rumor. Along with speculation that Rasputin was sleeping with Alexandra, there were also rumblings that he was sleeping with the four girls as well as they were teenagers at this point. Then pornographic cartoons also began to circulate that showed Rasputin having sexual relations with Alexandra with her four daughters naked in the background. His alleged hold over the royal family was used both against him and the Romanovs by politicians and journalists who sought to weaken the integrity of the dynasty, force Nicholas to give up his absolute political power, and separate the Russian Orthodox Church from the state. Rasputin unintentionally contributed to their propaganda by having public disputes with clergy members bragging about his ability to influence the royal couple and also by his dissolute public lifestyle. Nobles in influential positions around Nicholas, as well as some parties of the Duma, clamored for Rasputin's removal from the court. They called him the Mad Monk. There were attempts on his life, of course, that he survived. People believed him to have superhuman strength and an immunity to poison, and they thought him to practice witchcraft and black magic. And in his journals, he did write of his ongoing battle with the devil. He claimed he could see the devil standing in front of him, 
witnesses saw him screaming to himself in the streets to an invisible figure, allegedly, of course, to be the devil. The first attempt to his life was during the summer of 1914. A peasant woman stabbed him in the stomach outside of his home, and he was seriously wounded. But after surgery and some time in the hospital, he survived. The man that hired the woman stated that he fully believed Rasputin to be the biblical antichrist. So a group of nobles making up part of the extended royal family and a right-wing politician decided enough was enough. That Rasputin's influence over Alexandra threatened the empire and they began plotting his demise. In December 1916, they lured him to the basement of a palace. There, they served him cakes and red wine that had been laced with an overkill amount of cyanide. Now, the rest of this is just legend, and many experts agree that it is exaggerated, okay? But I will tell you what was said. According to the legend, Rasputin was completely unaffected, other than being quite intoxicated. The men became anxious that he might survive, and one of them shot him in the back, Rasputin fell, but after a time, he allegedly opened his eyes and went to grab at the man. The other men rushed into the room, aimed, and fired. Rasputin was supposedly hit with three more bullets, and he fell once more. But to the men's surprise, he was still alive and struggling to get up. It was said that they then clubbed him to death wrapped his body in a sheet and threw him into an icy river. Three days later, his body was found and it indeed had several gunshot wounds and it was obvious he had been beaten. An autopsy was performed, but the cause of death was ruled hypothermia. His arms were frozen in an upward appearance as if he had tried to claw his way out of the ice. The autopsy also allegedly revealed that he had been poisoned and that the amount in his system should have killed him. But please remember, many scholars state much of this is false. Now, Alexandra, after hearing of his death, had a proper funeral for him, Nicholas and the children in attendance as well, and had his body buried on the grounds of the imperial residence. Workers later found his remains and burned them in the nearby wooded area. Oh, and um, that rumor that his penis had been removed was also false. It was, in fact, still attached to his body when the autopsy was done. Rasputin's murderers would receive no punishment because it was considered politically acceptable. But the damage to the Romanov family was already done. It was too late. In July 1918, two years after Rasputin's murder, Nicholas, Alexandra, all of the children and their servants were all executed by firing squad and bayonets by a detachment of the Bolsheviks led by Yakov Yurovsky. It was said that out of Rasputin's children, his daughter Maria immigrated to France and then later to the United States, where she worked as a dancer and then a tiger trainer in a circus of all things. She did leave memoirs about her father, where she painted an almost saintly 
picture of him, insisting that most of the stories about him, what were so negative, were completely falsified by his enemies. And just a few weeks before his assassination, Rasputin wrote the following letter, shown in the New World Encyclopedia. Quote, I write and leave behind me this letter in St. Petersburg. I feel that I shall leave life before January 1st. If I am killed by common assassins and especially by my brothers, the Russian peasants, you, Tsar of Russia, will have nothing to fear for your children. They will reign for hundreds of years in Russia. But if I am murdered by boyars, nobles, and if they shed my blood, their hands will remain soiled with my blood for 25 years. They will not wash their hands from my blood. They will leave Russia. Brothers will kill brothers and they will kill each other and hate each other. And for 25 years, there will be no nobles in the country. Tsar of the land of Russia, if you hear the sound of the bell, which will tell you that Grigory has been killed, you must know this. If it was your relations who have wrought my death, then no one in the family, that is to say none of your children or relations, will remain alive for more than two years. They will be killed by the Russian people. Signed, Grigory. To some Russians, especially the communists, he represented all that was evil in the old regime, which needed to be overcome by the revolution. To others, Rasputin remained a symbol of the voice of the peasantry, and many to this day reject the negative stories and honor this man. So, do you believe he was a holy man, gifted with supernatural powers of healing and sight into the future? Do you think the rumors of his most explicit behaviors are based in reality? Or was he perhaps just a man, believing in gifts that many wanted to believe in in the New Age religions of the time, who saw an opportunity to mingle with the rich and influential and took advantage? Tell me, guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment below, or you can DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing all of my contact information is below. But most importantly, thank you so much for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Yeah, anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer. And whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time and then uh, in the early 80s they came up with this differentiation called serial killing 